The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. All right, good morning. Let's see if this thing works. Thank you, Rick and Jared and everyone. This is a what Rick just read to us. Hezekiah trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel. There was no one like him before him or after him among all the kings of Israel. He held on to Yahweh. He did not turn from following after him and he kept the commandments that Yahweh had commanded Moses. This is kind of extraordinary. It comes at the beginning of the story of Hezekiah in Kings. And if you're familiar with Kings, you know that the author of Kings doesn't want you to mess up. He always tells you right up front how to interpret the details. Usually he says, this king so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And occasionally he says, this king so-and-so uh, did right in the eyes of the Lord. But for about five of the kings, including Hezekiah, is a little bit of a special message. And this is what he says about Hezekiah. He's one of the four kings that there's no one like him. And Hezekiah's unique attribute is that he trusted Yahweh. Now what I'm really interested in here is um, where this narrator of kings, this author, got this message to interpret the life of Hezekiah. And it's really extraordinary because when we read the story that follows, it's um, one of the several places in scripture where there's um, the haters of Israel, the haters of God, who get to speak. And that's where he got this message from a hater of Hezekiah, a hater of Israel, and a hater of Israel's God. And so the, the scriptural authors are great because they're not afraid of that. But I kind of um, have been thinking about this question that I'd invite you to think about with me. What if your enemies got to define who you are to everyone? What do your enemies think about you? What do they say about you? Now, I, I know. You're saying to yourself, Enemies? Uh, I, I don't have any enemies. I've never had anyone make fun of me. I've never had people not like me. All right. What about the person on your right or your left? What about their enemies? What did their enemies say about them? And then this is really the real question, though. If your enemies, if you ever get any, know about you what you know about you, how would they taunt you? And what if those taunts was the way that your life is described to everyone? That's what we're really thinking about with Hezekiah, is uh, exactly that. So, just a very little background. Um, but in the 1730s, sorry, not 17, 730s, the um, people of Israel and all over that region started to have trouble from the Assyrian Empire. They were um, great tyrants, great predators, and in 722, they had especially great troubles because that's when 
um, Samaria, the much more powerful kingdom than Judah, to the north, fell to the Assyrians. And then about 20 years later, um, this is when this trouble comes upon Judah and Jerusalem in 701 BCE. And you guys all know this, the numbers count down towards the time of Christ. Well, kind of if we pretend that's sort of a picture of lower Israel, of Judah, one of the places of the dozens of cities that the Assyrians sacked and took all of the inhabitants of Judah into exile, one of them was Lachish. And that's where they set up camp and where the king was hanging out and enjoying himself. And they sent, um, after taking dozens of these Judean cities, they sent someone up to Jerusalem to taunt Jerusalem and to get Hezekiah to surrender. And according to um, the Assyrian records, they took some 200,000 Judeans into exile. That is, they emptied the hinterlands of uh, Judea. Now, a lot of people think that's an exaggeration because that's what ancient kings do. It's probably more like 120,000 is what people think. Now, the Assyrians were great innovators of war, and Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And so, one of their great innovations was propaganda. They used um, terror both um, in their inscriptions, like this, and also their pictures. But people knew this matched reality, more or less. So this is what Sennacherib says uh, just a few years after this about some of the Elamites, which he particularly hated. I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents, the gullets, and their entrails run down upon the wide earth. My prancing steeds harnessed for my riding plunged into streams of their blood as into a river. The wheels of my chariot, which brings low the wicked and evil, would be scattered with blood and filth. With the bodies of their warriors, I filled the plain like grass. Their testicles I cut off. I tore out their privates like the seeds of cucumbers, like sawan. I cut off their hands, I cut off. And that's pretty characteristic of the sort of um, Assyrian terror that they especially meted out upon um, the leaders of cities or kingdoms who would rebel. And why would people rebel with such um, terrifying things that would happen to them? Well, the taxes were onerous. And I don't mean like, I know this is tax season, so we all complain. But um, the sort of taxes that would be so bad that would spiral your people into a something like, um, almost 100 years ago now, a Great Depression, something that marked your great-grandparents' lives very deeply. And so it was so bad that people rebelled uh, quite a bit. Now, they, um, the siege engines that they brought against cities, these are their pictures of their own siege engines, and of course everyone would want to fight back because you wouldn't want to lose. These are pictures actually from Lachish, the um, artisans made these of the defeat of Lachish, and notice all the torches and rocks and everything else. But at the same time, notice the people of Lachish being moved into exile because they were defeated. And here's the people of Lachish, some Judeans, bowing down and worshiping the great king Sennacherib. And you can see that um, his eunuchs are keeping him comfortable with fly whisks. His face is smashed off. Um, 
that tends to happen to these, uh, the faces of most of the kings get smashed off of most of these inscriptions. Um, they were beloved after they died. Uh, here's some people of Judah being taken into exile. This is a really interesting picture. You can see the two children looking backward. Um, I kind of wonder if those two children are looking back because maybe their father is one of the city leaders who something terrible is going to happen to him. Um, here's a, a, a gentleman who is um, digging up uh, at the behest. He's about to be hit over the head with a club, but he's dug up his ancestors' bones, which they're grinding up into powder before they leave to kind of erase their memories, so to speak. These are some um, Judeans who are hung up on poles to um, show people what happens to the leaders of cities that rebel against the great Assyrians. Uh, these folks are having their hands cut off because this is the day that they cut people's hands off. And you can see some hands and feet there at the bottom of the screen. Uh, these folks are getting their tongues ripped out. Um, perhaps they're diplomats or politicians. I know we've often felt like that during election season. <laughs> now these folks are, um, this is a particularly... Uh, terrible thing that happens to leaders, they're being skinned alive. And um, their skins will be put up on display and some of the skin will be taken home to Assyria to show the folks at home the glories of war. Now, these are the kind of things that might be on Hezekiah's mind when the spokesperson, the royal spokesperson comes to see him. And the spokesperson, it's the it's, a, um, it's actually an Akkadian word that's brought into the Hebrew. It's not a Hebrew word, but Rav Shaka. And so you might have heard that term if you've ever heard somebody read in the Old King James. Um, it's just transliterated. But we might translate it royal spokesperson. And this is a very powerful high official. Um, he's somebody that, he's, he's representing the king, but he's powerful enough that he can speak for the king. And um, I'm gonna read um, most, I'm going to read all of his first speech. There's two speeches in 2 Kings 18 and 19. We're going to read the first speech together, and then uh, the second speech, we'll just look at one verse. But it's very well researched. He's done his homework. If you know the Bible well, you'll see that he has studied what we call um, the prophecies of Micah and Isaiah, two contemporaries that warned the Judeans of what would happen to them. And so, I suppose the Rav Shaka had his people help him do his research, but he knows what's going on. And so he's um, uh, using the truth in his own way to taunt Hezekiah. Let me find the right spot here so I do this correctly. So here's his, um, here's his speech. The royal spokesperson said to them, tell Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is the object of your trust in which you are trusting? You speak mere words of counsel and strength for war. Now, on whom do you trust that you rebel against me? And it continue, but I forgot to say, I tried to mark this. He uses the term trust in this speech um, eight times, seven times of Hezekiah, and one time of the people. Uh, and um, 
Hopefully you can notice this as I, uh, I read through this passage. He continues, now look, you are trusting in the splintered reed, Egypt, which if a person leans on it, it punctures their hand. That is what Pharaoh, king of Egypt, does to all who trust in him. But you might say to me, we trust in Yahweh, our God. Is he not the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed when he said to Judah and Jerusalem, you must not you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now, make an agreement with my Lord, the king of Assyria, and he will give you 1,000 horses, if you are able to mount riders upon them. How can you turn aside one of my Lord's minor spokespersons? Are you trusting yourself to Egypt for chariots and riders? Uh, that's the same thing that um, Isaiah was accusing the leaders of. He continues, now look, I have come against, up against this place, excuse me, now look, have I come up against this place without Yahweh's consent? Yahweh told me, go up against the land and destroy it. Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and Shevna and Joah, said to the royal spokesperson, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, but do not speak in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are upon the wall. But the royal spokesperson replied to them, did my Lord only send me to speak these words to your Lord and to you, but not to the people upon the wall whom will eat their own excrement and drink their own urine along with you? Uh, he's looking ahead um, to what happens often in protracted siege warfare when people st get starved. This is what the Lord warned Israel about, these very kinds of things in Leviticus 26 and also in um, Deuteronomy 28 in much more um, unpleasant terms. What people are uh, uh, driven to when they're maddened by starvation. The royal spokesperson continues. Then the royal spokesperson stood and called out in a loud voice in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not allow Hezekiah to deceive you, for he is not able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah cause you to trust in Yahweh, saying, Yahweh will certainly deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me and come out to me so that everyone may eat from their own vine and fig tree and may drink from their own cistern until I come to take you to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and honey. Then you may live and not die. If you know uh, Micah well, you'll see the allusion to Micah there. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he misleads you when he says, Yahweh will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations actually delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamet? 
and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharaim and Hena and Evna uh, and Eva? Did they deliver Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands has delivered them from my hand? Will Yahweh actually deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Now, we, we know the end of the story. Um, we, we know that actually uh, the Lord does send his death angel and kills the Assyrians. Now, I don't know what the next verse means after that where it says, and the next morning after the uh, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed, and the next morning they got up and they were all dead. I don't even know what that means. But it's really bad. But at this moment, when this um, royal spokesperson is taunting Hezekiah, they don't know what we know. They don't know the end of the story. They know the propaganda. They know the rest. And most of what he's saying is true, and a lot of it comes from their own prophets. This is the one snippet. Uh, oh, sorry. This is a the end of that, this is how the people respond. But the people were silent and did not answer a word to him because the king had commanded, do not answer him. This is the one snippet we'll read from his second speech, which is along a lot of the same lines. Thus you shall say to uh, Hezekiah, king of Judah, this is Snackrib talking, excuse me, Snackrib talking through uh, his royal spokesperson. Quote, do not let your God, in whom you are trusting, deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So he's basically saying, don't trust Isaiah. He's tricking you. Now, that's where the narrator gets this. Hezekiah trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel. There was no one like him, before him or after him, among all the kings of Israel. He held on to Yahweh. He did not turn from following after him. And he commanded the commands that Yahweh had commanded Moses. So, what does it mean to trust in the God of Israel. For Hezekiah, it was really pretty clear. He needed to believe what Isaiah told him, that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from seemingly uh, unbelievable odds. And Hezekiah did trust the Lord, and the Lord came through just like he said. What does it mean for us to trust the Lord? The Lord has promised to give us deliverance, to offer us forgiveness of sin, a new life by the Spirit to all who trust upon the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. What is a life of someone who trusts in the Lord look like? Well, they're the kind of people that get up every day 
and read the scriptures as though it were the very word of God. There are people that, that pray every day. There are people that give of their earnings to Christian ministries and to the church. There are people that proclaim the good news of Jesus our Lord. There are people that help people in need. But that's really a good question then, coming back to it. Can I ask it personally first? What would your enemies say of you that would be able to be used by a royal spokesperson about your life? And we also need to make it collective. What would our enemies taunt us about? What if what we're really known by is the taunts of our enemies? I hope that people mock you and mock us because we trust the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and the testimony of your faithfulness that you are worthy to be trusted even when you're mocked by kings and their spokespersons. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of your deliverance of Hezekiah who faced a very grim reality after Judah had been emptied, but he still trusted in you in spite of all the evidence around him. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live lives trusting in what you have said, realizing that your enemies, our enemies, those that hate us, those that hate you, those that hate the things of Christ, are going to say terrible things about us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be scorned because of our faith in the Lord and that you would strengthen us to it. We ask, Lord, that you would help our enemies to make fun of us for the right things. Give us the courage to trust in you even when it's embarrassing, even when it's hard. We need your help, O oh Lord, and we ask for your mercy this very day. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and our Lord. Amen. You're dismissed.